Welcome or welcome back to the Can't Stop Endurance podcast. I am Coach Kevin Leathers and we are back at it on our podcast. This will be episode number 69. I invite you to go back and listen through the library. We've got some entertaining interviews and Q&As and running talk in general back throughout the podcast. And I'm excited to be back because I love to talk about running. I'm a running geek from way back. And the goal of this podcast has always been to educate to enlighten and maybe make us both smarter, more successful runners. You know, as a coach, I communicate, I text, I email, I talk with runners on a daily basis. And there are a lot of recurring topics that we all deal with in one way or another. No matter your finishing time, whether you consider yourself fast or not, the rules and the advice and the guidelines are kind of the same for all of us. So as we work through some of these topics today, keep that in mind. When I mention a race time or a race pace, it's just an example for discussion purposes. You can plug in your speed and your pace, and it should still make sense. We are here to talk about your running. This time of year, a lot of you have completed a fall marathon or a fall half marathon. In every marathon, in every half marathon, for that matter, in every race, there are as many stories and race outcomes as there are runners in that race. In my own running and in the runners I coach, there are as many possible outcomes every time we tow the starting line. Those outcomes are affected and influenced by a lot of things that are out of our control. Probably the biggest one is the weather, the terrain, things that that happen out of our control that really have an impact on the day. We're not going to talk about those issues today. We're going to talk about and focus on the things that we can control. Race outcomes are influenced by our physical preparation, by our mental preparation, by our mindset. You know, we can look back and say, well, did we do the work? Did we stay healthy? Were we able to uh, avoid that recurring injury? Did we fuel properly? A lot of those race outcomes are affected by our fueling strategy. Were we able to, throughout our training, really dial in what worked best for pre-race dinner and then race day breakfast? And what did we eat on the course? And when do we eat it? Because timing is just as important as content. And Did we get enough electrolytes and did we get enough fluid? And we proved all that during the training. Our outcomes can be greatly affected by our race strategy, not just having a game plan and a race strategy, but being able to execute that strategy. That is really the key. You do have to be really smart and study the course, study the weather, study the wind, know yourself, know your strengths and weaknesses, and come up with a game plan. But then you have to actually go out and be smart and patient and focused and execute. That's just critical. Our race outcome can also be affected by setting proper expectations. And those expectations have to be based on our current fitness, our recent evidence, our recent results. How did your training runs go? Did you race? Did What, what race times and fitness did those completed events point to for today? And then once the race starts, did you stick with the pacing and the fueling and the strategy and the mindset that you needed to complete the race? So here's, a, here's an interesting story, if you will. Let's look at a group of runners who all just finished the, uh, the Big Town Marathon, and they all finished very near each other. 
and let's just pick they all finished right around four hours they all crossed the finish line with inside of each other they not necessarily knew each other they were just all in the big town marathon and they finished in around four hours but their race execution varied greatly they all had vastly different experiences they ran the exact same course with the same miles and the same aid stations and everything the weather was all the same but all of these runners got to the finish line a different way with a different mindset and a different outcome although their times were basically identical so let's start with and you can plug in any finishing time again i'm picking four hours just because that's easy for storytelling but plug in your finishing time and the story works i promise so let's start with that race pacer. This is that person that is capable of running, let's say, a 3.30 marathon or better. But they decide on this day they're going to volunteer and serve their fellow runners by running a specific pace evenly. Precision pacing is required. And I've run races. Uh, actually, my marathon PR all those years ago was guided by an excellent race pacer that I still remember him to this day. And he uh, he really pulled me through and was masterful as a pacer. I've also been in races where the pacers were way out of whack and I bailed and said, they don't know what they're doing. They're not running even splits, etc. That's a story for another day. But so your pacer, they crossed the finish line right on four hours. Great. They knew what they were doing. Then just very near that pacer is, we'll call her the smart patient runner. This runner knew. She knew and was supremely confident that based on her training and her recent results, that she was fit to run a four-hour marathon on the day. She stood on the starting line. She knew she was fit. She was healthy. She was, and, and she was confident based on all of that evidence that if you can get to the starting line healthy and confident in what you're about to do, man, that is powerful. This runner used that pacer as a guide, but she made sure to run her own race. Always trust but verify when you're using a pacer. Make sure they're on track. You know, keep keep an eye. It's it's here's the value of a pacer. Let's say it's that four-hour pacer and they're supposed to run this pace. You can just kind of zone out and use them as your barometer. Stay with them. Keep your, you know, keep that rubber band attached to them. Stay pretty close. But you have to check them those first, you know, first half a dozen miles to make sure that they're hitting your targeted race pace because they're human and sometimes they might go out too fast or too slow. So this runner ran her race, used that pacer and didn't have to make any pacing decisions before mile 20. There were no emotions involved. She ran like a robot ticking off mile after mile after mile right on pace. Then after mile 20, she was able to evaluate, okay, I made it to 20 and I am right on pace. Now it's getting difficult because as we all know, it is always difficult. Your first marathon, your PR marathon, your best marathon ever, the uh, winner of the Olympic marathon, it's always excruciatingly difficult. But she was able to hold pace. That's the key. And then she finished in four hours. She hit her target. It was a great day. Then just near her at the finish line was the smart, patient, slightly less confident runner who had a really good day. This runner was also fit to run four hours, but maybe she had never run a marathon before. So she wasn't quite sure what to expect, or maybe she hadn't run a marathon in a few years. And this was her first attempt back at the marathon. She did the training. She was fit, but her confidence wasn't 
huge. So we're going to be a little more conservative just to be safe. Great idea. So she goes out somewhere between the four hour and maybe the four hour and five minute pace group. Uses them both as a barometer, kind of stays in the middle. She ran her race, made sure to keep the four hour pace group somewhat in sight. They didn't get too far ahead of her. She could kind of see the pacer sign out there in the distance. And then she got to mile 23 and looked down and she was still on pace. Now, it's not easy. It was excruciating, actually. Legs were on fire, feet were sore, hips were tightening up, but she was still on pace. And now she knew, she was confident that she was going to be able to make that final 5K. And if she pushed just a little bit, she might even reel in that four-hour pace group. And boom, she does it. Goal achieved. Awesome. Crosses the finish line, hits her goal. Also in this group, you know what's coming, the impatient runner. Some would call the dumb runner. We actually have several podcast episodes in honor of dumb runners everywhere. The race is loaded with these people. Some are newbies, but some, amazingly, some of these people are experienced runners. They've run marathon after marathon. They've been doing this for years. And for some reason, they many of them have made this their trademark racing style. You know who they are, that 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 person that you pass in every race somewhere halfway or towards the end because they've gone out too fast. So they start their race way up with the three-hour and 30-minute pacer. Why? Who knows? There's no logic to it. It just felt like 3.30 was a good number. Or maybe, well, my friend was going to run 3.30. Or my, my, my training group, there's some 3.30 marathoners there, and I've been running with them, so I was going to try to run with them. They feel good through 10K because it should feel easy. Man, this feels easy today. Maybe, maybe they even get through halfway feeling good. Oh, boy, this is the day. I'm gonna, today it's going to work. And they keep on that pace until they can't. Then reality sets in and they have to pay the toll for going out way too fast. So they start to slow down. Maybe they even cramp up. They'll likely be walking some of that final 10K. You might even see them sitting on the curb. And here comes the four-hour pace group, slowly catching up swallows them up in that final mile and they also finish right around four hours now their mood and experience and their story back around the campfire after the race is going to be vastly different from that woman who finished right next to them and the one who finished right in front of them or right behind them they've had a horrible day finishing in four hours we like to say they did it they did four hours the hard way and a lot of times this this dumb runner can't figure out what happened oh my gosh, every time time I hit the wall at 14 or 17 or whatever that number is, was it the weather? Oh, maybe it was my shoes. I got to get new shoes. Or maybe that surprise bad hamstring out of the blue and they develop a limp when they're walking around the finish line telling everybody why the race went poorly. Or maybe it's something I ate. I think I have food poisoning. They spend the last 10K of that race coming up with their list of excuses of why the race went poorly because the never, last thing they, we, want to do is say, oh, I screwed that up. I went out too fast. I wasn't prepared to run a 3.30 and I paid the price and man, I'm stupid. If and when this runner figures out how important it is to be patient 
and disciplined and on pace for the first 20 miles, he will finally achieve that peak performance. I went through the process. Most marathoners go through that process. So, so you see now I've laid out that race and there are so many routes to running four hours or any finishing time at that marathon. The smart route leads to a peak performance, sometimes a PR, sometimes a, a BQ, whatever your goal is. The best part of this whole story is that you get to choose which path you want to take to that four-hour marathon. Will you choose the smart path or will you choose the dumb path? <laughs> Honestly, I've done both. I've, I've run plenty of dumb races and I've, I've learned that lesson. I've paid the price. I've also done some smart races and the, the times might not be that different, but it, the, the difference in the gratitude and how you feel and the pride in that result is just it's a, the Grand Canyon between uh, those two finishes. I sure know which one feels better and which one was worth all the training and all the struggle and that late race uh, trauma that we go through physically and mentally when you can hang on through the difficulty and hit your goal kind of makes a lot of that stuff fade away. So I, I mentioned there a couple of times peak performance. Let me make sure we're clear on what I mean by peak performance has nothing to do with the outcome. That doesn't mean you won the race or you won your age group or you qualified for Boston. Those are outcome goals. A performance goal is dependent on your performance and how you execute the race. Not necessarily a PR. Uh, for me, I'll never, I will never get close to my personal bests again. Uh, some of them, the shorter the race is, the longer ago it was. My, uh, you know, my 5K PR is from four, over 40 years ago. A marathon is probably 15 years ago. And that's okay. That's life. That's, the, that's human uh, physiology. But I'm still motivated and striving for other goals like an age group PR. You get old enough and all of a sudden that age group PR is, <laughs> there's some glory in an age group PR, trust me. Or maybe it's a lot of times it's just a well-executed race where I, I know the shape I'm in and I know for better or worse what I deserve here on this day. Can I go out and hit the times and the paces I know I'm capable of doing on that day to achieve the performance goal? And it might just be making the most of the fitness you have this year. All things considered, work, family, health, whatever it is, I've done the best I can do. And I went out and I proved it with this race today. That's a good feeling. It's kind of running to your full capacity with whatever that happens to be on any given day or month or, or uh, phase of life. And as we start looking at peak performances, especially since we've been talking about marathons. Here's a question a lot of runners should be considering, and this is something we talk with our runners about. Which marathon should I pick for my peak performance attempt? Again, that could be I'm this year I'm really going to go for uh, my first marathon, or I want to set a PR, or I want to break XYZ time, or I want to qualify for Boston, whatever that, or or maybe you're 
you're way at the front of the pack and you want to win the race or win masters or whatever, whatever your goal is, your, your, your outcome goal. How do you pick the right race? It's not, the marathon is too hard and there's too many factors involved for you to just pick your local race because that might not be the best idea. So some of the things we talk about is, well, do you prefer a big marathon or a small marathon? I've done the biggest, I've done little small town races with a hundred people and there are advantages and disadvantages to both. So you kind of have to look at how are you wired? Some of these big city races like uh, New York City and Chicago with 50 or 60,000 runners, some of those are too crowded and too congested early in the race for you to really run your own selfish race because you're kind of at the uh, the whim of the, the herd mentality for the first few miles, sometimes the first 10K. Maybe those races aren't the best. Uh, a small town race with 100 runners, okay, wow, you've got wide open space, but you might be all alone. Once, once you get past 5K, it might be a solo marathon, and that might work for you. It might not. It depends upon how, uh, how dialed in your mindset is. And then there's that medium-sized race. I kind of I kind of like that where it's there's enough runners in the race. Maybe there's a few thousand runners so that you can see the runners. You can you've always got people near you, but it's not so congested that you can't run your own race. That's a pretty comfortable spot to be when when your whole we're not this race isn't for sightseeing, it's not for Uh, It's not a family trip. This is for me to go execute my best marathon. Kind of that medium-sized race seems to work really well. And then, do I want to do a local race or do I want to travel somewhere? Well, if you live in a place with a really good local marathon that checks all your boxes, great. Because to eat your own food, sleep in your own bed, Uh, make coffee in your own coffee maker. There's a lot of advantages to that. A lot of us aren't that fortunate. So we have to travel. So let's consider local travel being somewhere you can drive in a couple of hours and stay one night in the hotel and come home after the race. Reasonably local. That's also a pretty good idea. Then there's the whole travel. Oh man, you got to fly across country or across the ocean. There's uh, jet lag involved. There are time zones involved. There's uh, planes and subways and taxis and walking blocks and blocks and blocks and miles and miles to get to packet pickup. Those are all logistical things to consider if you're going to travel to a big race. Uh, now, you could travel to a medium-sized race. That's not a bad idea. Get off the plane, cab or rent a car, go to the hotel, go to the packet pickup. It's very low-key just happens to be in a different location. And as we we talk about big races, things like the uh, World Marathon Majors, I I have really mixed feelings about this series. It's I think it's it's all about selling race entries and travel packages for the races because they're going to get their pros and their prestige, but they're trying to help support each other's races and keep them growing and keep the entry fees coming and the hotels full, which is fantastic. Great. But I've had 
many runners go do European marathons, which involve a transatlantic flight and totally uh, throwing off your uh, inner clock because of um, time zone changes. And you get to these major European cities. The food's different. The mile markers are different. You have to walk. It's it, There's just a lot involved. So I would certainly make that more of a an adventure and a a sightseeing marathon trip versus trying to go and set a big uh, personal peak performance. And then there's things to consider like the course. Is this course conducive to fast running? Meaning, is it too hilly? And too hilly being something that is uh, big climbs that you just can't hold pace. Uh, Maybe it's too downhill there is such a thing as too much downhill. If, as a matter of fact, that's what makes the Boston Marathon such a challenging course is because the first 13 or 14 miles are a steady downhill and it just pounds your quads. And then you hit those rolling hills in Newton and then Heartbreak Hill and it's really, a, it becomes a tough course. So you want something that's somewhere in the middle. I think a few small rollers to break up your rhythm and your tempo is good. Um, so make sure that the course is conducive. Super flat course. Well, depending upon where you're going, that can have different definitions. So go online and do some research and, and look and see, is this course really flat? Um, is, it, is it out and back? Okay, consider that a flat out and back course. Sounds good. I, I personally like a somewhat out and back course just for my mindset but what if it's straight out and straight back happens to be a windy day you might have a 13.1 mile headwind one way or the other maybe not the best so the best way to find these things out is to go read race reports weather oh man he heat and humidity are our real marathoners enemy (laughs) there is Now, I grew up in the South. I still live in the Southwest. I'm a a hot weather runner, but there is no smart reason to run a marathon in the South between April and October unless you're using it as a training run because nothing good comes of those types of races. It's just too hot. Then there's logistics. How well is this run managed? Who runs the event? Is it a race management company? Are they runners? Is it a charity? Is it uh, a municipality who really don't know what runners need or how to lay out a course? Um, How early do you have to wake up to get on the bus to get to the starting line? Is it a 3 a.m. wake up call? Okay, better be prepared for that. And then the race reputation. Ask around, read reviews online, find out what the race is really all about. So I could go down this rabbit hole all day. I love talking about this. And these are the discussions I love having with runners because they're always enlightening and it makes you think, what's the best thing here? What, what's the smart running decision for me in this race? Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. Thank you for listening to the Can't Stop Endurance podcast. If you have questions, please reach out. You can find me on email at coach at can'tstopendurance.com. You can follow Can't Stop Endurance on Instagram and Facebook. And until next time, I'm Coach Kevin Leathers. And remember, run smart, train hard, 
and race fast.